our needs require recognition more than satisfaction. A banker friend who had taken part in a training course I led told me a few weeks later how difficult it was for him to make himself available for his children when he came back from the office around 8 o'clock in the evening. I just feel like doing nothing, opening a paper, or watching television. I don't have the energy to be assaulted by my three children. Yet I also want to see them a little each day, so I force myself to play with them. But I frequently feel that I'm not truly available, and I quickly get annoyed. I reformulated the scene to check that I had understood properly and to enable us to identify the needs concerned. Do you feel frustrated because you'd like to be more available in support of your children when you get home? Maybe in a perfect world, but mostly I just feel exhausted and can't cope with their level of energy. This is important feedback in my quest to make sure I've understood properly. It helps me refine and reformulate my guess. Do you feel divided between a part of you that is exhausted and that has a need for relaxation and calm at that time of the day, and another part of you that feels touched by the enthusiasm of your children? And you would like to find the energy to respond to it? Yes, I need time for myself, but I usually don't manage to get it. And every evening when I get out of the car in front of the house, I feel the same tension, and that exhausts me. If you're open to it, I would like to suggest that even before you get home, you pull over and simply take a few minutes for yourself to listen to your needs and get connected to the various parts of yourself. On the one hand, you have a need for peace, relaxation, and time for yourself and, on the other hand, you need and want to be available and welcoming to your children. Simply take the time to say to yourself inside, or even aloud, so things will be clearer in your heart, I really feel a need now to put my feet up, sit on the sofa with my paper, and watch TV and nothing else. After this stressful day, I need to land. I need to settle and rest. Take the time to taste the simple well-being that goes with this way of seeing things. Let it come alive in you so you are more open to the other part of you that is saying inside, and at the same time I also need and want to be available to my children and devote time and attention to them. Only then take the last leg of your journey, pull into the driveway, and go into your house. When you walk in, Stay present to these different needs and allow yourself to negotiate them openly with your children. A few days later, this man phoned to thank me, I had found it difficult to believe that your proposal would help me. So I'm surprised to observe how peaceful I have been feeling, becoming aware of what's alive in me without forcing one part of me or repressing another part. Previously, it was as if I was leaving a part of myself in the car. These last few evenings, I've felt that I've gone back home whole and able to express all my needs. In the course of a workshop, taking place over a few spread out days, a childcare worker in a center for children said how tired he was of always being the sucker or flunky who would stand in at a moment's notice when colleagues were not able to come to work. I'm always the one to get called in at the last minute, especially when it comes to taking groups to the swimming pool in the evening, because they know I never say no. I go along, of course, because someone has to be with these youngsters, and if I don't go, the outing they are so excited about may be cancelled. But what happens is that I'm not very available to the children. I fume the whole evening and quickly lose my cool with them. As a matter of fact, they're the ones who pay the price for my bad humor. Do you feel upset because there's a part of you that is fed up, F, with regularly getting called in to substitute for others' absences? And that part of you would like to be able to say no? You'd like to spend an evening on your own, and you'd like other colleagues to make themselves available, N? But another part of you is really concerned, F, 
at the idea of these young people not getting the outing they are so looking forward to, and? Yes, I feel divided, and that keeps me from really being present with the children. If you listen to these various needs, the need to share tasks among colleagues, the need to respect your free time and your private life, and the need to contribute as much as possible to the well-being of the young people you take care of, how do you feel? Touched, because I'm aware that by accepting to stand in for others, I'm choosing a priority need, helping the young people. One day, I might well make a different choice. I suggest that the next time you receive such a request, you take time to listen to your various needs, so that you're really available for what you choose to do. A week later, he told me he had once again accepted to serve as a replacement for an evening at the swimming pool with the young people. I took time to listen to myself as you had suggested, he began. The need around the young people was clearly the top priority in my mind, and I went along joyfully. Although I was counting on doing several things at home that evening, I was able to accept postponing them, and I felt fully available to the youngsters. I have on so many occasions worked on understanding what is at stake here. Most of the time, what appears is that we have not really taken stock of our needs. We do things out of habit or duty because it has to be done, I have no choice or because the other person or the thing we are attending to is quickly perceived as the factor preventing us from being ourselves or from living our life. We end up making other people pay openly or more subtly, or we pay for it ourselves. Violence is triggered openly or subtly. If we take the time to take stock of the situation on our own, we give ourselves the opportunity of being fully available and present to what we're doing and those we're doing it with. We wish to become aware so we don't deny or disown what is alive in us. Identifying our need for rest, to have some time for ourselves, to do what we want with our evening, etc., doesn't necessarily mean we'll meet the need. We simply wish to become aware of it so we don't deny or disown anything that is alive in us. Through awareness, living choices can be made that involve us in all of our aliveness and not just 10 or 15% of ourselves. Regarding our needs. At the end of this book, you will find a list of needs. This list, like the list of feelings, makes no claims to be exhaustive. It is the result of observing the needs commonly worked on in NBC seminars or during consultations. The way it is presented is merely a proposal. We refer to Physiological needs, eating, drinking, sleeping. Individual or personal needs, space, identity, autonomy, evolution. Social or interpersonal needs, sharing, recognition, giving, welcoming. Spiritual needs, love, confidence, meaning, kindness, joy. Needs to celebrate life, gratitude, communion, mourning, Formulating a concrete, realistic, positive, negotiable request. Even though, as we have seen, some of our needs have a greater impetus to be recognized than to be met, nonetheless we would like to meet a fair number of them. Contenting ourselves with awareness of our needs without knowing what to do in practical terms might well leave us in an unsatisfactory virtual world, a sort of insatiable quest, I need love, I need recognition, understanding, but I never take action myself to meet them. I wait for someone to take care of me. Bringing the need into the here and now. Here are the benefits that result from making a request or a concrete, realistic, positive, negotiable proposal for action. A concrete request. We can float through life amid ideas, ideals, 
and magnificent concepts. If we do so, we might never encounter reality, never bring ourselves fully into the here and now. I personally was quite stuck in the Peter Pan complex, summarized as follows, reality through a window pane is all right, but I'm afraid of really getting into reality, fear of failure, fear of imperfection, fear of shadows and incompleteness. I will make choices later. Immersed in an apparently conventional legal career, I pursued my dream that all was possible. For a long time, I tried to keep all doors open in front of me without going through any of them. Eventually, though, I became aware that while in one life many extremely varied things are indeed possible one after the other, there is only a single possible at a time. It is the request that provides the need with a possible and prevents it from being stuck behind the window pane. It gives it an opportunity to take on reality. In my support work, I observe that the difficulty of moving into the request or concrete action is strongly linked to the difficulty of entitling oneself to exist and deciding on true practical action independent of others' expectations and values. My thoughts turn to a man, some 60 years old, who came to a consultation, preoccupied by the sharing of his inheritance with his two sisters, who had made a proposal that didn't suit him. Fairly quickly, he clarified his need for fairness, but when I asked him how, in concrete terms, he envisioned meeting his need for fairness in the breakdown of the inheritance, he was unable to propose any practical division of the estate. He constantly came back to his strategy and his need, it's got to be just. What's being proposed is not right. But he was making no proposal his sisters could respond to, such that finally they had acquired an aversion to him, and that did nothing to facilitate understanding. It was truly difficult for him to define his request in concrete terms because defining means finishing, and finishing means accepting finiteness. This notion was a blow to his heart. The idea of providing a concrete boundary, a precise measure of his quest for equity, repelled him. For various reasons, his need for justice was never met. Regarding any proposal, he went into comparisons and saw only a limitation unacceptable in the light of his insatiable quest. In fact, underlying his need for fairness were unmet needs for recognition, identity, and esteem. By working on the concrete and highly pragmatic nature of a request, we are working on getting into reality and accepting our finiteness. A realistic request. A realistic request takes reality into account, such as it is and not such as I fear it may be or such as I dream it may be. People who have, for example, a need for change, are often imagining a change objective so radical that in it they have the best reason never to change, it's too hard, it's too great a burden, it involves too many things, it concerns too many people or aspects of my life, so I'm changing nothing. Seek first the smallest thing we might do, and change will follow. That is why it is so invaluable to invite another or to invite oneself to say, what is the littlest thing or the most pleasant thing, however small, I could say or do in the direction of the change I wish for, in the direction of the change I've identified. In short, seek first the smallest thing we might do, and change will follow. We're talking here about not the biggest thing, but the smallest, not the most painful, but the most pleasant. This often comes as a surprise to people because our mind, accustomed to performance and bent on results, seeks a trial of force, a significant challenge, as if reality were not made up of many little things woven with other little things, and yet more little things that together make up very big things. This modest and realistic side of the request often gives rise to misgivings at a time governed by automatic trigger mechanisms, telephones, 
TVs, electrical household equipment, cars, computers. One click and we zap from show to show, program to program, one person to the next. Serenely accepting the slowness of a living process is so uncommon that many have trouble trusting nature's slow but steady way. But there are exceptions. Case in point. A woman much afflicted by the death of her husband came to me for support. After several consultations, she identified the principal feeling alive in her, fear. It indicated her need to trust herself. She was surprised to learn this because, she said, I never thought about trusting myself. Such words didn't even exist in my head. I always trusted first my parents, then my husband and my family. Now I believe that I really do have a need for self-confidence, but at my age I'll never make it. I urged her to take practical action, to put the self-sabotage producing the negative beliefs and cloudy mental pictures to one side, at my age, I'll never make it, and simply state her need aloud to give herself the right to exist. She repeated it hesitatingly, I need to trust myself. I need to believe that I can trust myself. I stayed silent for a while and then said to her, I suggest you simply stay aware of this need in the days to come, without being concerned about any result. Simply bring your attention to this need, and don't look for a solution. Let the need resonate in your heart. At the next session, a week later, she began by saying, I'm grateful you urged me simply to allow myself to be aware of the need to trust myself. It's amazing how I had the impression of not having to do anything or look for anything, but simply to allow what was alive in me to well up, allowing myself to feel the confidence taking root. It's still very fragile, but something is already different, and it's reassuring for me to rely more on myself. A few weeks later, she truly began to reorganize her life in very practical terms. In this case, the principle of reality was elementary, first of all, simply accept the notion of need itself. The solutions will come later. A positive request. Imagine you are listening to music while your husband is working in his office. He says to you, I'm working. Will you please turn off the music? How do you feel? Now imagine he has just said to you, I need some quiet to do my work for another hour. Would you agree to listen to your music in an hour or to go on listening to it in another room in the house? How do you feel now? When I do this exercise in a group, I often hear. I prefer the second version. Why? Because I don't like being prevented from doing what I'm doing. In the second version, I hear a proposal to continue what I'm doing later or elsewhere. It's more pleasant than having to stop. Indeed, we do not like having to stop. Certainly, we have heard more than often enough, will you stop moving around, making so much noise, playing, etc. We do not like being prevented from doing. We much prefer being invited to do. It is subtle, you might say. Doubtless. And that is precisely it, as far as I'm concerned, the subtle essence of the form of communication I am proposing, avoiding both in our language and in our consciousness whatever divides, compares, separates, hampers, encloses, resists, sticks, embarrasses, and preferring language that opens, conjugates, connects, allows, invites, stimulates, facilitates. Worthy of note are my own old reflexes. The title of this book gives food for thought, being genuine, not just nice. A negotiable request. It would have served no purpose to carefully make factual observations such that another person will not perceive any judgment or criticism, 
compare the mother-slash-child example quoted above, when I see your shoes on the staircase and your backpack on the sofa, or to express feelings to avoid any interpretations or judgments, I feel sad and disheartened, or to check having properly identified a need that does not involve the other person, I have a need for order and respect for the work I do, if at the request stage one gets caught up in totally non-negotiable requirements, and now go clean up your things immediately. It is the negotiable nature of the request that creates the space for connection. This is more or less how it happens, if we don't make a request, it's as if we weren't allowing ourselves the right to exist. We remain with a virtual, disembodied need. We aren't truly taking our place in the relationship. Furthermore, if we issue orders or make requirements, it's as if the other person doesn't have the right to exist either. The ability to formulate a negotiable request, and thus to truly create the space for a connection, is a direct function of our own security and inner strength, in short, our confidence in ourselves.